We, as you just heard, we're continuing in our series on the book of Romans, and hopefully you've found Romans in your Bible or on your phone app. Um, and when, when you know, we open up Romans, it's pretty early in the greeting that we find out that Romans is about the gospel, and that the gospel has something to do with Jesus uh, living, dying, rising from the dead. Like it's, it's really early in the greeting. And, you know, that's a nice story, but who cares, right? Like, like, I mean, even if it's true, why do we care? Now, the Apostle Paul knows that. He knows that uh, even though the story is true, how, how is he going to convince people that they actually care about the story, that they need the story? And partly how he's doing this in the book of Romans is that he is uh, showing us uh, the, the problem, the root problem that we have, that we are sinners separated from God, and that there's only one remedy, and that remedy is, is, is the gospel. And so, he's got to convince us that we actually have this root problem that we need the remedy for. He's also got to convince us to stop reaching for false remedies, for wrong remedies, uh, which is basically what we've looked at so far, is his drilling down into Romans 1, showing us our root problem, and then showing us some of uh, the wrong remedies that we, uh, that, we, that, we, that we reach for. A little bit like a uh, COVID vaccine campaign, right? COVID vaccine campaign is convincing us that the, the problem is bad enough to reach for the remedy that either we're compromised and we're, there's a risk that we might get COVID and die, or we're not compromised, but we might get COVID and share it with someone who is compromised, and they would get COVID and die. And so the campaign is, you better get the vaccine because of these risks, that the problem is serious enough for the remedy. I also have to convince us that we shouldn't reach for wrong remedies. And there have been a lot of wrong remedies for COVID in the last year. Just Google that, man. It's a fun, it's like a fun ride. Um, here's some of the ones I saw this week. Drinking, just drinking a lot of alcohol. I, you know, maybe some students around here try that out. I don't know. Um, uh, inhaling or drinking hydrogen peroxide is, is a wrong remedy. Don't try that at home. Uh, drinking cow urine was a wrong remedy. And yes, yeah, sorry. And then the worst, uh, you know, is inhaling or drinking bleach, right, is a wrong remedy. And, and these remedies actually make things worse. And so in the book of Romans, Paul points to some wrong remedies that we reach for in trying to cure our sin, namely following rules or following religious rituals. And he says those things don't cure the problem. They don't cure the problem of sin and its effects. Now, if I'm a Jewish reader and I'm reading through this, that brings up some questions. Uh, one is, okay, if those rules and rituals came from God, do they have any use at all? And number two, if those rules and rituals came from God and they don't work to, to cure my sin and its effects, did God fail? So those are two of the questions being dealt with in this 
passage for the Jewish reader. And then for us, really, do the rules and rituals have any value for us in 2021? So those are the three, three things. If you're taking notes, is if the rules and rituals don't save, what value do they have? If the rules and rituals don't save, did God fail? And then do they have any value in 2021? So those first two questions are really dealt with in the, uh, immediately in the first four verses of chapter 3. Does, does the law have value and uh, has God failed? So Romans 3 verse 1, then what advantage has the Jew? Or, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does this faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So, do the rules and rituals laid down in the Old Testament, do they have value? They do. And the first reason he says they have value is because they come from God. Whether they do anything or not, they actually come from God. He calls them the oracles of of God. He's saying that God spoke words to human beings. Not only that, superintended a process whereby those words were written down in a book and human beings could read the very words of God. And that this particular human, uh, group of human beings who received that word in the Old Testament were the Jewish people. This is good. And this is the first reason why there is value in the rules and rituals of the Old Testament is that they came from God. It'd be like uh, you and I, we're, we're on top of Mount Sugarloaf. It's the middle of October. It's gorgeous day. It's full fall foliage. We're looking out over the Connecticut River Valley. And I'm like, isn't this amazing? You're like, yes, this is amazing. so beautiful. And I say, guess what? This was created by God. Oh, man, wow, he did a great job. This is amazing, this, this beauty, this foliage. Guess what? This person, this God who created all of this, he spoke and he superintended a process for those words to be written down. No way. Yes. Would you like to know what he said? Absolutely. Whether these words do anything or not, they come from God. They come from the creator of all things, seen and unseen. If he has something to say, we want to know what it is. And so Paul lets them know, yes, of course, there's value in the law, the rules, the ritual of the Old Testament, because it comes from God. But did God fail, right? If He gave these rules and rituals and they don't save human beings from sin, is God a failure? Paul says no. <laughs> Paul says no, no, the the faithlessness of the people of God in regard to following the law does not make God faithless. In fact, the faithlessness of sinful human beings not being able to follow the law actually points to the faithfulness of God. He says it, it shows us that God is true and human beings are liars. The very contrast that the law brings out in our understanding of who God is and who human beings are. That's part of what the law is doing. So not only does the law have value because it comes from God, but the law has value because it shows us the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of human beings. So there's 
three reasons in this text already of the law. It comes from God. It shows the, un- the, the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of human beings. The law is like a test. I think about a test in a classroom. The test expresses the expectations of the teacher. So if you were unsure, I wonder what my teacher wants me to learn. You're not unsure on the day of the test. Teacher puts that test in front of you. You go, oh, that's what you wanted me to learn. But it also is the opportunity for you to prove whether or not you have met the expectations of the teacher. And so you get an 82 on the test. You show that you have met that teacher's expectations to the point of 82%. Not 100%, but 82%. And so in God's classroom, the expectations are that you would make 100%. The test of the law, the expectations are you meet the expectations 100%. Now, the immediate reaction to this is that's not fair. That's not fair. How could God give us a test? He knows that we're going to fail. And Paul expects that to be an objection. And so he deals with it, starting with verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is righteous? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So Paul brings up, couple of objections. So one is, well, if God's given me a test I can't pass, God's unjust, right? So that's objection one. And then, kind of piggybacked on that, then my sinning is actually making God look better. So I should sin more so that God looks even more righteous. It'd be like this. I'm, I'm totally flunking the course, which is making my professor look really, really smart. And so I shouldn't even show up for class. It'll be even better for my professor. Something similar going on here. That if God is, uh, that that he, He is looking good because I am failing at following the law, I might as well sin even more to make Him look better. This is especially poignant for the Jewish reader. They've been painstakingly identifying the 600 plus laws in the Old Testament and seeking to follow those to the letter. And so Paul is, is, is addressing these kinds of objections to those who are seeking to follow the law, letting them know they can't make 100% and the implications of that. So then verse 9, he says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. He said, wait, wait, wait. Paul, I thought you said that it was a benefit to have the law in verses 1 and 2. Remember when he said, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That sounds like it's positive to have the law, to be given the law. And and it is positive in the sense that the Jews were privileged to have received that law. that That is a benefit. That is good. That is a privilege but not in the sense in which that law can save you from sin. It can't. 
And so there's no benefit in that sense of having the law. It cannot save you from sin. He says both Jews and non-Jews, that is Greeks or Gentiles, are, quote, under sin. Remember back in chapter 2, we talked about this last week, where he talked about Jews being under the law, right? 2.12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. That the, that the, the fact that the Jews are, quote, under the law is just merely revealing that they're sinners. It's revealing that they are under sin, and that is the root of our problem. And that is the root of all of humanity's problem, both Jew and non-Jew, Jew and, and Greek. And so, again, what is Paul saying about the law? The law is from God. The law reveals God, like His righteousness, and it reveals human beings' unrighteousness. And then Paul shows the Jewish reader that this teaching is throughout the Old Testament by curating this group of phrases that mostly comes from Psalms, which is Jewish hymn book. And so, verse 10, he says, as it is written, okay, so he's quoting Old Testament. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is a download of phrases, mostly from Psalms. Psalm 14, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Psalm 36. All these phrases that are from the Jewish hymn book of Psalms. These are songs that they've sung over and over and over and over again. They know these like I know 80s pop songs, okay? I listened to 80s pop songs growing up so so much. I I worked outside. I, I did like roofing and painting, and I had the radio going on like 12 hours a day all summer. And so I just, I just know so many, so many lyrics. So, you know, like this one, take my hand, we'll make it, I swear, whoa, living on a, see, you know it too. Most of you did not grow up in the 80s. Um, but this would have been what it was like for these Jewish readers. They know the Psalms backwards and forwards. They've sung these Psalms so many times since they were babies. And these phrases have been so familiar to them. But what Paul is doing is he's, he's curating this, these phrases from all these psalms, and he's, he's putting it all together, and it's in a topical format. And he's like, look, all these things are pointing to the utter depravity of human beings. And I'm sure it was a bit of an aha moment for the Jewish reader, like, oh, yeah, those were in those psalms. That topic is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament does say that human beings are utterly depraved, that the effect of sin on human beings is comprehensive. It's not, oops, I made a mistake, oops, I slipped up, oops, I have issues. It is a comprehensive 
depravity. That includes not only wrong behavior, but a rejection of the one true God. Remember earlier in, 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 in Paul's description of our predicament, saying we're both unrighteous and ungodly. We're behaving badly, but not only that, we're rejecting relationship with, with God. And he is vividly illustrating this predicament, right? He, and it's like this, he, he's communicating both figuratively and literally. He says things like, your throats are like an open grave. Ugh, that is vivid. A grave with a rotting corpse in it that hasn't been covered up. That's what he's saying. He's saying, human being, that's you, right? And, and, then, and then he goes more to literal. You know, he's like, your tongue is, is deceptive. That is, instead of using your tongue to speak words of love and encouragement and truth, you're using your tongue to speak words of deception for your own self-gain. And then he goes back to figurative, talking about under your, their lips is, is venom. Like, it's, it's like you are a venomous snake, human being. And he goes back to literal, your mouth's full of curses and bitterness. Now, in both Old and New Testament, there, there is a, 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 a strong thread throughout of how the heart and the mouth are tied together. If you want to know what's in the heart, you just listen to what's coming out of the mouth. And Jesus himself taught this, like places like Luke 6.45. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And then check this last phrase. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so there, Jesus is doing the same thing where he's saying there's like a comprehensive evil that is, has taken up residence inside and out in the human being. Sometimes this doctrine is called total depravity. And I think it's a little confusing because you hear total depravity and you think, well, are you saying human beings can express nothing good? Well, no, that, that's not what we're saying. That's not what the Bible's saying, right? You're, you're created by God. You're an image bearer. There's going to be things that you're able to express that are actually really good, whether you're a Christian or not. But every part of you, body and soul, has been tainted by sin. So we might say, a better phrase might be, you are wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, depraved. Not totally, but wholly. Every part of you has been tainted by sin. Sin is systemic. Right? We, we're talking a lot in, in our current culture about systemic racism. And so what it, what, what's meant by that phrase is that every part of American society is somehow touched or tainted by racism. I don't think it should be surprising to Christians that human society is systemically sinful, right? The Bible talks about that throughout. In the New Testament, it talks about, quote, the world, right? That's what it's talking about. We're talking about the world is the systemically sinful society that we reside in. And so, partly as a Christian, we are seeking to remedy those systemic sins in society. Now, here, Paul is talking about the systemic sinfulness of an individual human being. He's saying sin is not, is not just affecting a part of you, it's tainting 
everything. Everything. It's tainting your, your emotions. It's ta- tainting your will. It's tainting your mind, your imagination, your sex drive, your desire for food, your desire for rest. All of us, all of you, all of me is systemically tainted by sin. And again, it doesn't mean we don't express good things. We are God's image bearers. We're created in the image of God. We are going to express good because we've been made in the image of one who is good. But because of sin, every part of us, inside and out, has been tainted. This belief is essential for believing the gospel. If you think, I believe in Jesus just to kind of get me a, you know, get me a leg up, that really I'm, I'm basically good and I just need a little help from Jesus, that's, that's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. That, that is some of what is being peddled in our world today as Christianity, that human beings are basically good and we just kind of need Jesus to kind of give us a leg up, but that is, that is not biblical Christianity. Um, mostly what that is, is contemporary spirituality and therapy kind of rolled into one and being peddled as Christianity. Uh, one, one guy that, uh, he's a Jesuit priest who it's kind of the poster child for this kind of stuff. His name's Richard Rohr. And he says this, True spiritual formation flows from the belief that we are born with souls in perfect form. As time goes on, we are subject to powers of deformation from within as well as without that twist us into shapes alien to the shape of our soul. But the soul never loses its original form and never stops calling us back to our birthright integrity. That is not Christianity. <laughs> we were not born in perfect form. Our souls were tainted by sin from day one. And this is, this is what Paul is teaching in Romans 3, that we've been affected by sin in a comprehensive way. If we don't believe that, we don't believe the gospel. If we don't believe that, we do not believe the gospel. Our root problem is really bad. It's really bad. We don't need just a little leg up from Jesus. We need a comprehensive salvation because we have a comprehensive problem. And I think our, our kind of automatic objection is, but I, kind of, I thought God was loving. I thought He was full of mercy. He is. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. Would it be loving if the oncologist sits down with you knowing you have stage 3 cancer but doesn't want to upset you and tells you you have a stress headache? That's not loving. And that's what folks that are, are, are telling you, you you're, you're, you're naturally good, you were born good. They're telling you you have a stress headache when indeed you have stage 3 spiritual cancer. And the God of mercy, the God who loves you, He has told you in His Word how serious the problem is. Now, the, the question, or part of the question, I think, for the Jewish reader is, okay, okay, so what, what good is the law? Like, if that's true, and the law can't fix that in a comprehensive way, what good is it? And... Here's where Paul really gets into how it's helpful. He says, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, 
It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what does that law do? That law exposes the problem. It exposes the, the, the seriousness of the problem. It does that by showing us the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of the human being. And how do you respond to that? When you, when you see that reality of God's righteousness and our un, unrighteousness, and what, God says, or what, what Paul says in this passage is your first response to that should be to hush, to not say anything, Right? He, 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 he's, he's saying that every mouth should be stopped. That when you see what's in the law and you, you see how it reveals God's righteousness and our unrighteousness, all you can do is just let your mouth be stopped. It's, it's partly what, what Jesus is doing in places like Sermon on the Mount where he does in, in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see what Jesus is doing there? He's like, oh yeah, you've heard it said that the law said don't murder, and everybody's like, yeah, 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 got that, never murdered anybody. He's like, but have you been sinfully angry against a fellow human being. In that anger, have, have you demeaned them? Have, have you called them names? Yes. You, you failed the test. You failed the test of the law. And, and why is he saying that? Is he saying that so we'll say, okay, okay, Jesus, next week I will try a lot harder. I will try really hard next week and I will not get angry, okay? That's not what he wants us to do. What he wants us to do that, in that first step is just Hush! And say, I can't do that, Jesus. I can't do that. I, I, I can't not be angry. I, I can't not act on that anger sometimes. I'm a sinner. And, and, and this is what the law does for us. It hushes us. We're so tempted, right? We're tempted to justify, to come up with some kind of justifications but, but look at the rules I follow. Look at the rituals that I follow. Lord, I mean, surely these... No, hush. Hush. Or we make excuses. We say, but yeah, but... These other factors are the reason I... No, hush. Don't make excuses. Or we want to blame someone or something and shift it over to, 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 to something else. No. Hush. <laughs> Or just deny. No. We want, to, we want to stand quiet. Seeing what's in the law. Re- seeing the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of our own hearts. And, you know, he, he sums it up. And I just read this, but i read it again. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law can't fix the problem. The, the, the law reveals the problem, and it reveals the comprehensive nature of sin. But it's being given to us 
by a God who's full of mercy because if, if we see the comprehensive nature of how sin has affected us, we will reach for the right remedy. It is a mercy. You know, earlier in, in the book of Romans, he said that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And I think when we read that, we think, we think, oh, God's like a little grandpa, you know, and he like comes around us and he's like, oh, honey, you should repent. No, he's like an oncologist. And, and in his kindness, he's saying, you have stage three. And there is a remedy. And it is what God the Son has done on the cross. He has died for sinners, sinners like you and me, who have been comprehensively tainted. We are wholly depraved. And God's remedy is more than enough to fix that. So how do I respond? I think this is helpful both for the non-Christian and the Christian. So if you're not yet a Christian, you're exploring the faith. I think the passage is helpful to you in a couple of ways. So one is, if you came in here thinking, I'm not that bad. I, I don't think I really need that whole Jesus bloody cross thing. Like, I'm a pretty good person. I compare myself to others. No, you are that bad. You are that bad. You, you are comprehensively tainted by sin. And there is a remedy for that. What Christ has done for you at the cross is a sufficient remedy for that. I think it's also helpful to someone who's not yet a Christian if you think you're too bad to be saved by God. If you think, yeah, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. No, I want you to hear what what Paul's saying here in this text. He's saying, no, there's no one righteous. There's no not one come on in. All of humanity is in this kind of utterly depraved state. You too, come on. Come get the remedy. Receive the remedy. You're not too far from God to be saved. All of us are comprehensively depraved and in need of this great salvation, including you. And so, receive that remedy this morning, perhaps for the first time. This is You're hearing this, you're like, okay, now I get it. It's not just about doing some kind of rule following or ritual keeping. Like This this is about me admitting that I, I have nothing to offer, like hushing my mouth and just standing before a holy God and receiving the remedy that He's given me at the cross. If you're not there yet, I'm going to encourage you to keep exploring, asking questions. I'd love to talk more about it, or others in the room certainly would want to talk as well. But what if I'm a Christian? Does this passage have anything to help a Christian? I think it does. It's similar to the non-Christian. So one thing that the passage does is it cures spiritual pride, cures our pride. Again, it corrects our false belief that I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. You are. You are that bad. You're comprehensively tainted by sin. You need a comprehensive salvation. It's, good, it's a good reminder uh, of that. Um, I spent a lot of time with college students, and I get to hear a lot of college confessions. 
And it's good for me. It's good for my soul. Because it reminds me of the stupid stuff I did when I was in college. And I'm reminded of what, what God has done in me over the last 30, 40 years of walking with Him. He has been comprehensively saving me day in and day out. And so it is, is a cure for, for pride. It's a cure for hopelessness as well. A lot of you, you're, you're walking around uh, under condemnation. You, you're thinking um, that, that you have this guilt and shame that Christ has not taken from you. But, but He has. There's nothing that you have done, will do, that, 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 that can override the, the merciful salvation that God has given you. And so it's, it's good for us to hear, no, there's no one righteous. No, not one. And it can, it can lift us out of, of hopelessness. Uh, all my kids, and myself included, have had ACL reconstructive surgery. And Kayla had hers before Cooper had his. And so uh, when Cooper had his, it was day three of recovery. And day three is the worst because day three you're in the most pain and you're, you're pulling off the bandage, and so you see the knee for the first time post-surgery. And, and it's, it's just ugly. Like, it, it is like swollen. I'm not going to show you a picture, so it's okay. It's swollen. It's bleeding a little bit. It's got this huge incision on it, and, and it's just it's traumatizing, right? I, and so when, when it was th- day three, and, and Cooper was taking his bandage off, and the knee was all swollen, and and uh, he was just like, oh, no, this is terrible. And it's so much worse than Kayla's and, and, and just going on and on and on. And so I'm, I'm cruising through my pictures on my phone, and I find where I took a picture of Kayla's knee at day three, and I pull it up on my phone, and I show it to him, and he's like, ugh, that looks just like my knee. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm like, I know. But it was comforting to him, right? Because he's like, oh, I'm not. I'm not special. You know, I'm not that different. You know, I, it's the same thing that, that Kayla had to go through. Now I'm going through. This passage is something similar, right? You're thinking, oh, I'm just a worse sinner than everyone else. I'm despairing. I'm hopeless. No, you're not. You're, you're not worse. We're all in that kind of predicament. And so let this passage comfort you. <laughs> We've all been saved from a, a comprehensive depravity. And then thirdly, for the Christian, it's a, it's a reminder of the depravity, not just to be reminded of the depravity, but to be reminded of the goodness of the remedy. This passage should stir in you an appreciation for gospel grace. Amen? This is what He has saved us from. All these really heavy, serious, sober things that he says in this passage, this is what we were saved from, and it should stir in us a fresh appreciation. So with Cooper's uh, knee surgery, he actually had a ligament from a cadaver that was donated, you know, from from a person who donated their organs that was used to repair his knee in his first surgery. And 
So when you, when you get that transplant, you get a little pamphlet that says, here's how you can write a thank you note to the family of the deceased person that gave their organs. And I found that the other day in my pile of stuff on my desk, and I never, I never sent a thank you note. I feel bad about that. Maybe I'll still do it. I don't know if I still can. But I wondered, would I have sent a thank you note and been a little more on top of it if it had been a heart transplant? Or what if it was his entire body transplant? Or what if it was an entire body and soul transplant and that lasted throughout all eternity? How grateful would I have been then? Well, that's you and me, guys. Our whole body and soul has been saved by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ at the cross. And that salvation is so great a salvation that it will last throughout eternity. Want to write a thank you note? Yeah, it stirs up gratitude in our hearts for the remedy that Christ has offered. It is a comprehensive salvation for a comprehensive depravity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage. It's a hard passage. It is certainly not something that modern ears would eagerly welcome, but it is truth and it is mercy. And so God, help us to understand the truths contained in this passage that they would not cause us to despair, they would not lead us to hopelessness, but instead would lead us to the remedy that we would reach for the true remedy of your comprehensive salvation at the cross. And that we would continue to remember again and again and again and again the comprehensive salvation that we experience day in and day out as your children. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.